the great I am. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus is the great I am. When Moses asked God in the burning bush, when I go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, who shall I say sent me? And they shall ask for your name. What will I tell them? And he said, tell them that the great I am, that I am, that I am has sent thee. I am that I am. This means the self-existent one. The one who always has been and always will be. Amen. Has no beginning and has no end. That's why Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Amen. Then they almost took up stones to stone him, and he went out from the midst of them because he said, before Abraham was, I am. In Revelation, Jesus said, I am the first and the last, the Alpha, Omega, the beginning and the end. That's who Jesus is. That's who we're worshiping this morning. Hallelujah. Woo! Glory! What a great song. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. This time we dismissed our youth class and our kids' ministry. God bless you. You may be seated for now. Let me just say how full my heart is with joy and uh, Rob and, uh, and Allison's uh, uh, engagement. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, there's nothing that brings as much joy as, a, as an upcoming wedding and uh, uh, a new baby. Mm, glory be. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, nothing like it. God's been so good to us. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Praise God. Well, I want to also share another joy with you, and that is that, as you know, this uh, past Wednesday night, the uh, church body met and had ratified our proposed purchase of property next to us and across the street, and uh, we have uh, some property that uh, is going to be added on to us that will help on expansion, and uh, the Lord willing, we'll be able to build a new sanctuary in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. All things are possible. With God. Amen. That is a long-term goal. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you for all of you voting. Amen. In fact, it was a unanimous vote. Hallelujah. That is incredible. Praise the Lord. I mean, that's, that's what you're talking about in Acts chapter 2. They were in one place and one accord. He's not talking about a Honda car either. They were in one accord. And uh, we were in one accord on Wednesday night. And I appreciate the Spirit of God working in us and through us. Amen. And uh, I want to just also say a few words uh, about our police department. I want to express my appreciation to them and helping us uh, and, uh, and really the leadership of the city in, uh, in, uh, in approving, really, and, and just being so kind to us and letting us do our church functions. You know, uh, I, I waited a week, and I talked to several uh, levels of, of leadership at the police department asking for guidelines on our trunk or treat uh, community outreach at the end of the month. And uh, nobody could tell me anything. There were no guidelines. And then finally, last week, the, some guidelines did come out, and the, uh, the Belleville uh, Police Department called me, and uh, a lieutenant uh, that I spoke to uh, was so kind. And uh, I'm just telling you that uh, they're all behind us and uh, they're not on our way. They're not here to, to shut us down or inhibit what we're doing to, uh, to reach out to our community. And so uh, pass the word about this trunk retreat because we're going to keep on doing it. We're going to go on with it. And uh, we plan to have uh, a lot of people, a lot of churches aren't doing it and can't do it uh, during this time of pandemic. We will be, of course, wise and uh, we'll be smart. Uh, and I encourage you too as well. Now still, this pandemic is not over yet. So uh, let's not get lax. Uh, make sure you wear your mask coming in and out. Make sure you wash hands and use those hand sanitizers. We haven't had any, any problems. Praise God. I don't want any. Do you? Hallelujah. Praise God. Keep on being, you know, commonsensical. And, uh, and keep your distance. Uh, if you're sick, don't come. Uh, amen. That's just common sense. And if you're sick, stay away. Protect yourself and protect everybody else. And uh, so uh, we thank you for your cooperation so far. Thank you for registering to our services. 
thank you for being faithful and uh, thank you for your faithful in giving. I appreciate that so much. You, you helped this church so much. Uh, we, we're really only down minimally in what a normal uh, uh, income is for the church. And the bills still stand. And uh, we still got to pay insurance. We still pay the light bill and the heating and everything else. Uh, and yet, uh, you know, you have been so faithful. You know, I've heard uh, as we're going through the steps and applying for loans and whatnot, banks are sheepish and gun shy. A lot of churches have folded up. They're folded, and uh, they, they're not opening back up. Uh, but we're going on. Hallelujah. The church of the living God has got to go on. Hallelujah. It's, that's not us. Praise the Lord. That's not us. Amen. And uh, so we thank God for his favor in so many ways. And we thank you for your faithfulness to the house of God and to the word of God. Can you say praise the Lord? Amen. Sister Switzer had a birthday this past week. Hallelujah. She was only 29 years old. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We thank God for her. And hallelujah. 32 years pastoring this church with her husband. And here she is. Serving God all these years. Built several home missions churches, which means it started her from scratch. And you know, she plays an accordion. And I'd love to hear her play one time, sometime, somehow, I don't know. Sister Switzer, I tell you what, sing another special. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> Praise God. But I tell you what, uh, you talk about sacrifice, you talk about raising their kids in a small church and then growing them and raising them and, and, and just, just building revival churches. And, and uh, you know, they were so instrumental in my life and I think many of yours as well. And uh, I wouldn't be here without them and, uh, and God working through them uh, for my wife and I. And many of you may not know, but my wife and I were married in this church in 1979 and her husband, Brother Switzer, my pastor, married us. And uh, so we go way back. Amen. <laughs> oh, I'm not blaming him at all. Praise God. I'll thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I'm enjoying my salvation, enjoying the Lord and his word, enjoying the people. Love you all. Amen. Stand with me, all you here. Uh, visitors, I have been here for a while. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Romans chapter 11. Verse 1, hallelujah. Romans 11, verse 1. And Paul, the apostle, is writing to the Roman church. Uh, the book of Romans is like the book of Hebrews to the Hebrews, the Romans to the Gentiles, Hebrews to the Hebrew Christians. And by this time, uh, most of the church was really filled with Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And... Uh, Paul is addressing this issue, and uh, even though Israel was still a nation, it was not yet uh, succumbed to Roman rule. I mean, they were under Roman rule, but as you know, the Israel, the Judea at the time, rebelled against Rome, and then uh, Israel was, was totally wiped out. Jerusalem, uh, surrounded by armies of Titus three years in, from A.D. 67 to 70, and by 70 A.D., the rebellion was totally put down. Jerusalem was, was shattered and it was burnt. Uh, the temple ceased to exist. And, and uh, then the Jewish people were dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. Many of them, were, of course, were killed. And many of them were led away into slavery. Uh, but at this particular time, Israel was still standing as a nation, and so was the temple. And there was a transition period between the Old Testament and the New, and Paul was part of that transition. And many of the Christians still alive, then even Jews wondered, well, what's the relationship uh, to the Jewish people and the Jewish temple and their, their ceremonial style of worship versus the New Testament uh, born-again experience. And how, how do we relate? Do we keep the law or don't we? Or what's going on? If God turned to the church, that's, that's a new covenant, new creation, what, what's happening to Israel? And Paul says in chapter 11, verse 1, I say then, hath God cast away his people, meaning Israel? God forbid. For I am... I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. What do you not? Or don't you know what the scripture saith of Elias, meaning Elijah? 
how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thy altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. According to the election of grace. I want to kind of refer to the 7,000 whom Paul references by the Spirit from 1 Kings chapter 19. And it's where God tells Elijah the encouragement to him that he is not alone. But there are 7,000 others that he knows nothing about who have not bowed to an idol that everybody else is worshiping. And so this morning I want to talk to you for a few minutes about secret disciples or fearless witnesses. Hallelujah. Secret disciples or fearless witnesses. Lord, we thank you for your word. Bless it and multiply it to the ears of the hearers. Let it sink deep down into all of our hearts. Accomplish, O oh Lord, that which you purpose. And we pray blessing upon your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. And so this chapter is important explaining to us that God indeed has not cast away all of the people of Israel, nor has he canceled his promises that God made to Abraham to them even though now God's main focus is the church. And so Paul used this example of Elijah to show that there has always been at least a remnant of Israel. And he refers to himself, well, you know, I'm in a church, but I'm a Jew. I'm an Israelite. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, and I am a Pharisee, and uh, that's what I used to be. But now I'm a Christian. So I have not been cast away, but I as a Jew now am a Christian. And in his other letters to the church, he states very plainly that the New Testament church is not based on ceremony and animal sacrifice uh, with the shedding of the blood of those animals, but on the blood of Jesus Christ and faith in that sacrifice once and for all, for all of mankind. And whoever comes to Christ by faith can look at that sacrifice, believe in it, accept it, appropriate it for themselves in repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and receiving the Spirit of God to enter the new covenant terms. Now, under the Old Testament, to be a Jew, as a male in particular, at the eighth day, you have to be circumcised in the foreskin of your skin, of your manhood. And if you did not have that done, you were cut off from your people. God said, if you don't do that to your children, I'm cutting you off. That child is not going to be part of my people, not part of my blessings, not, not part of my covenant. You have broken my covenant. Now, Paul said in the New Testament, that's not so important with respect to circumcision of the flesh in the physical sense. Now, it's going to be a circumcision of the heart. And that's baptism in Jesus' name. In Colossians chapter 2, it tells us plainly that the circumcision in the New Testament, there is circumcision, but not of the flesh. It's not carnal, not ceremonial. It is ceremonial, but not physical in the sense where you cut off anything from your, from your body. It is spiritual. It happens in the heart. And when you repent of your sins, and when you take the name of Jesus Christ upon you in baptism, and you put down the carnality, the sins of the past, amen, the fleshly things of the past, you're now embracing the things of the Spirit. You are being circumcised in the heart and not on the flesh. And therefore, Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And if you're Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. For he said, the Jew is not the Jew who is circumcised of the foreskin, but one he who is circumcised of the heart. 
So you see the difference between the Old and New Testament and what Paul is talking about even himself. I'm now a remnant. So there were many Jewish people. In fact, the early church on the day of Pentecost, uh, uh, 3,120 were all Jewish people. That's the first church. And so by, the, by, by a few chapters later, there's another 5,000, Acts chapter 4, when Peter goes up to the temple and uh, out in the, in, in, in the porch, he's, you know, he healed the, uh, the, the lame man uh, at the skate called Beautiful, and there's 5,000 people that gather, and they all believed. In fact, later on, the Bible says many of the priests and Levites were believers. So there were thousands of Jewish people that came to Christianity and embraced the spiritual message, not a physical but spiritual circumcision, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And so there was a remnant. Paul is explaining there is a remnant. God didn't forsake all of Israel. In fact, he incorporated much of Israel into the church to save a remnant, something that remains, something that's left over. Amen. From the Old Testament. And what a great thing that is. Hallelujah. So the inference is that even though the church is comprised mainly of non-Jewish Gentiles, there is still a remnant of Jews inside the church, but they're a remnant according to grace and not according to the works of the law of Moses. And that's important. That's, in fact, a very important theme that runs through the entire New Testament time and again. But who were these 7,000 silent saints is what I want to focus on. God mentioned them to encourage Elijah uh, that he is not alone. And even God speaks very little about them. Elijah didn't even know that they existed. But what do we know about them except that they belong to God? They were faithful. They did not bow their knee to the idol Baal, nor did they kiss him, meaning the statue, express any kind of affection. They did not bow down to them. You know, many false gods that are not gods at all, but even movements and even political movements will not bow down to God and don't want you to bow down to the real God, but they want you to bow down to them. Nebuchadnezzar, when you hear the music, we want you to bow down because I said so. You know, there's many governors that will not want us to bow down to God, but they want us to bow down to them. Things haven't changed in 6,000 years. Man will always be man. They will be flesh. They will be carnal. They will be anti-God. They will be rebellious. And just as back then today, they're also silent Disciples, silent saints, if you please. And they were silent because of this spirit of fear that was in the atmosphere. Fear gripped the prophets and the true people of God in the times of Elijah and the days of the king Ahab and his wife Jezebel. In fact, in 1 Kings 18, uh, verse 3 and 4, we are told about uh, how when Elijah finally came and showed himself to the king, after many days, uh, uh, you know, three years before this, uh, Elijah said, it's not going to rain here for three years. And indeed, it didn't rain. There was a great doubt, drought. There was a great uh, devastation in the land. Uh, no water coming. You can imagine what drought does uh, when you don't have irrigation. You don't have the modern technology. You don't have a lot of things that you have today. But back then, uh, it was so bad. I mean, all dry grass everywhere. The, the animals were dying and uh, people were hungry. Why? Because no vegetation growing. And, and it, was, it was tough. And, and they blamed God and they blamed the prophet of God because you're the prophet. You said it won't do it. And God heard you. And here we are. We're suffering because of you. And so the Bible says Elijah went and, and showed himself to Ahab. And uh, Ahab, the servant, uh, uh, I mean, Ahab, the king, called his servant Obadiah, it says, which was now the governor of his house. And, but Obadiah, the Bible says in verse 3, feared the Lord greatly. It was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. So great, here's one hundred prophets besides the seven thousand. 100 prophets in group of two, two groups of 50 hidden in caves. Well, it sounds like a great thing, but you know what? That uh, really isn't uh, 
very commendable. It might seem like that a great thing that Obadiah did, but in reality, it, it ended up contributing to the fear and paranoia of the time. Why? Because nobody was speaking up. Those 7,000 saints were really men and the hundred prophets to speak against sin, to speak against the things that were going on in their day. They were to listen to the Spirit of God and preach and teach the people against what was going on. They were saved by a cave, but they were silenced by fear. I wonder what Elijah would have done if he would have known that indeed there were 7,000 others who believed like he did. 7,000 others that loved God and served him like he did. Elijah's story might have turned out a little bit different. As you know, and we heard just a few weeks ago, so uh, greatly and wonderfully preached by Brother Heil about coming out of the cave, what happened to Elijah, how after great victory with a fire coming down from heaven to distinguish between the prophets of Baal, the idol, versus the prophet of God, that, that the God who answers by fire, amen, be God. And sure enough, hallelujah, it was uh, Elijah's prayer that brought down the fire from heaven. Let me tell you something today, folks. Uh, amen. In this last hours, uh, as we face so many falsehoods, uh, so many false doctrines, so many false movements, uh, so many lying movements, uh, I'm going to tell you that the only difference uh, that's going to set us apart is the fire of God. I'm not talking about the fire that just comes down from heaven. I'm talking about the passion that's burning in your soul. Amen. It's got to be more than just philosophy. It's got to be more than just politics. It's got to be more than just, uh, you know, uh, uh, mental ascent. Uh, it's got to be more than just uh, intellectual argument. Uh, it's got to be the spirit and the power and the fire of God that burns in our soul. Uh, hallelujah. There's something that people can feel when you talk to them about it. The Bible talks about in these last days that there will be those that will have a, a form of godliness, but they're denying the power thereof. Amen. They play the part of a church and a Christian. Amen. They know how to come to church and sing the songs, but they don't allow the Spirit of God to move through them. They don't allow the Holy Ghost to get a hold of them. They don't allow the Spirit of God to speak in tongues through them. They don't allow any kind of emotion to come through. Amen. Hallelujah. To be passionate about what they believe in. And worst of all, they keep their mouth shut. What comes in walking out in the world among the unbelievers? And it's a dangerous thing to do. We live in an age of fear. And the world wants to put us in a cave. Wants to shut up the prophets. A, a silent prophet might as well be a dead prophet. No difference between the two. You know, we're children of the Spirit. We are, hallelujah, to prophesy. The Bible says when the Holy Ghost is poured out upon us, God prophesied, amen, that, you're, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters, they shall prophesy. Right. We are the prophets and the prophetesses, hallelujah. Yes, amen. Are we preaching? Are we talking to the people? Or are we silence in a cave and shutting up because we're too afraid? It's not of God to be afraid. It's a dangerous thing to occupy a cave and, like Elijah did. Yes, he did come out of the cave. And yes, we heard so wonderfully. Amen. There's time when we all go in a cave. Hallelujah. But when you're called of God and you're, you're called to accomplish a purpose and you're back in the cave, you better watch out. You know, after Elijah came out of that cave, he didn't, much more, didn't do much more in his ministry. His ministry was over. Fear. Got him to get rid of his mantle. Amen. Well, the three things that God gave him to do after he came out of the cave, remember, go and anoint Hazael, king of Syria. Go anoint Jehu, the king of Israel, in the office of Ahab. And then I want you to go and put your mantle and call whomsoever I will. Call, uh, amen, Elisha. Hallelujah. And when he put his mantle on him, he got him ready and trained him. God called him home. Nothing else more to be done. You know, when, when fear puts you in a position where you refuse to fulfill your call, it's over. And I don't want the church to get in a position. I don't want the church in Bell will ever get to the place where they're so afraid that they stop talking about Jesus. Amen. When they stop, talk about, stop talking about truth. Right. Amen. Folks, we're in a business 
of preaching truth, no matter who likes it or doesn't like it. I'm talking about truth in every realm. More first and foremost, truth about the Word of God. But I believe in truth because truth matters. Truth matters in science. Truth matters in politics. Truth matters in every area. Truth matters about climate. And there are a lot of perverters of the truth claiming they have the truth. We cannot afford to be that way. There are a lot of liars that are lying about social issues. We got to call them on it. Why? Because we're politicizing? No, because truth matters. Jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Listen, without truth, there is no true faith and there's no true Christianity. Without truth, there is no society. You cannot have justice without truth. I, was, I said it before. I keep saying it that I'm blue in the face. You cannot have justice without truth. You better know the truth of the matter because you, before you start making judgments about anyone or anything. We're in a vast stage where people are deceiving and being deceived. That's the spirit of the age. It cannot creep into the church. You better know the truth and you better get to love the truth. Word says, buy the truth and sell it not. Because if you don't love the truth, you're going to be deceived. Deceived in many realms, in many levels, spiritually, politically, socially, scientifically. If truth is not truth and words have no meaning, then we might as well give up and fold up and, and, and go somewhere else. But you know what? There's no other place on earth you can go and, you know, go in a cave. Unfortunately, that's what fear does. And I, there's a lot of people I know in this country right now, they're so afraid. They want to go somewhere else, but there's nowhere to run. They'd rather go in a cave and wait till it all blows over. Listen, it's not blowing over. It's time for the church to be the church. Jesus said, all these things must come to pass. We're in it. We're in the beginning of sorrows. Don't tuck your tail between your legs and run. It's not time to go in the cave by fear. There's not the time for silent discipleship. And be a silent saint, it's time to be fearless witnesses for the truth. I don't want my ministry to end up like Elijah's. Boy, it was great. Elijah had a double portion. Hallelujah. Twice as many miracles. Oh, hallelujah. I, I, and I'm not in it for the miracles, everything else. Oh, yeah, I, I, want, I want it. Hallelujah. These signs shall follow them that believe in my hand, name. They shall you know, lay hands on, on the sick that shall cover. They shall cast out demons. Praise God. And all those things. I, I want it. But the effect of silent saints made an impact on the life of the man of God. And because they were silent and because he didn't know that they existed, I really believe contributed to his discouragement and his depression. And to him moving into a cane in the cave and being defeated, at least feeling defeated. Even though he really wasn't defeated, he had great power. Fire just came down from heaven, consumed the sacrifice. And a lot of the people of Israel came back to God, said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And then all Jezebel had to do was send him a threatening letter and he tucked tail around. Don't be afraid of the threats of the enemy. Don't be afraid of death. We have won a victory over death. Jesus did, and he proved it. And because I live, he said, you shall live also. Either you believe it or you don't. Either that's truth or it's a lie. I believe the truth. Why? There were many witnesses. And I know he's alive because he's... He gave it the Holy Ghost. Speak it in tongues. I know it's real. It's real, it's real, I know it's real. This Pentecostal blessing, and I know, I know it's real. It is real. It's the Word, it's the Bible. That's what we need in the last days. And you better get a hold of it. You better let it fill you. You better let it lead you. Hallelujah. Because it will chase out the fear that tries to compact you and put you in a cave somewhere. If you are full of fear, it will discourage others. When you're on a battlefield, uh, fear can grip the hearts of men. You know, 
a, a man who, who gives into that fear on the battlefield it, it just as the battle ensues, and he turns tail and runs, has an effect on every one of the men that's on the front line. And that's why in times past, now, they'll do it today, but it's not in the books. If one man turns tail and runs, that commanding officer can shoot that man, even if it's his own. You know why? Because that fear will cause that line to collapse and cost the lives of many others, and not to mention the battle. Poor relatives may never know about it. He died on a foreign field fighting on a battle because he was shot by his own officer. Why? Well, he died on the field for honor. He gave his life. But because of his fear, he could have a devastating effect on the battle and the outcome of that war. And you see, it's the same thing in the spiritual realm. Fear has an effect on others. The way you live your Christianity, or you don't, has an effect on everybody else around you that knows that you're a Christian. If you're faithless, people know it. If you're full of fear, people know it. If you're full of faith, people know it. Hallelujah. Why? Because, you see, you talk about what you love. You love God. When you say you love him, praise the Lord. You know, you will always talk about him then. You always talk about the one you love. Hallelujah. And so what are we talking about? It says, a result of the silence of these 7,000 silent saints, they had absolutely no effect on evil in their life and no effect on evil going around the country. And if we keep silent, evil will continue to thrive. There'll be no, no word to restrict and to restrain. This is why we have to be more vocal today than ever before. And there were only, these 7,000 and, and the 100 prophets really were only known, think about it, they were only known by the things that they didn't do, not the things they did. The only testimony they have is they did not worship Baal. They did not kiss him. That's it. So here's the question. Are we known by the things that we don't do or the things that we do do? Our early church was not known by the things they didn't do. They were known by the things they did. You guys have filled our city with your doctrine. You have turned Jerusalem upside down because you don't shut up. You keep talking about this Jesus. You keep talking about his resurrection. And hallelujah, people are getting the Holy Ghost left and right. People are getting healed. God is confirming the word everywhere that they went. Hallelujah. Why? Because they didn't stay silent in the cave somewhere. Amen. Oh, yes, when Jesus first resurrected, amen, when he was killed and crucified in Calvary, well, you know, for a while they were afraid. Amen. But after the day of Pentecost, when they got the Holy Ghost and fire, when they got that dunamis power, when Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, fearless witnesses, hallelujah, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth, hallelujah. They went everywhere, and the Lord went with them, confirming the word. People were changed. Holy Ghost was falling left and right. Miracles taking place all over the place. Hallelujah. Because they weren't silent. They were not known by the things that they didn't do, but the things that they do. And here we are in the last days. We have to ask ourselves what we must do. Indeed, it is dark. It's evil. They feel for days. Jesus said in Luke 21, I mean, uh, uh, men's hearts will be failing them for fear. For looking for the things that are coming upon the earth. If you really look at it in a, in a natural eye and, and really the way the world is and the way our country is and, and the things that are going around us, it's fearful. And if you didn't have the hope of the Scriptures, if you don't know what's coming, if you don't know the outcome, it's outright depressing. You want to run somewhere and hide. You should know when you look at the Scriptures, hey, there's no better hide place to hide than in Christ Jesus. Hide in God because that's your only ticket out.
That is your only way out. There is no other way. You can't just go someplace to Timbuktu and say it won't reach me there. Oh, no, no. This thing's coming upon the whole world, not just the United States of America. You better latch on to him. Hallelujah. Don't be looking for some cave to hide in. There isn't any. And so the question is, what is the church going to be like in these last days? Is it going to live up to its call? Is it going to live up to our, our purpose? See, I think this is why Jesus probably said, shall the Son of Man find faith on the earth when he returns? Fear is the opposite of faith. And such a fear gripping the hearts of people, it's hard for people to believe and to live their faith. The lights aren't shining. And God said, you're the light of the earth. Hallelujah. If your light's not shining, you're probably, probably not plugged in. Hallelujah. Listen, Martin Luther said, he said this, he was the father, of, they call him the father of the Lutheran church, Lutheran movement. So let the church be the church. Let the church be the church that God intended for it to be. That's what God wants you and I to be, to be the church. Hallelujah. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, you know, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Interesting that word, you know, not prevail means not prove more powerful than opposing forces. It will not be victorious. Who is not victorious? The church? No, the gates of hell. The gates of hell shall not prevail. In other words, the gates of hell will not prevail or, or be able to stop us. But the question is, are we attacking? Are we pushing? Are we resisting? Are we speaking? Hallelujah. See, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. And you know, salt is a preservative. It retards. It slows down corruption. It stands against evil. That's who we are as a church. We stand against evil that is going on around us. Oh, yes, it's coming. It, it is getting worse. But believe it or not, the church is still here, and the church slows all that down. When we talk about the social issues, I'm talking about abortion, drug addiction, porn addiction, alcohol addiction, immorality, slavery in the form of human trafficking, homosexuality, pedophilia, adultery, polygamy, all these things. Where would the world be if the church didn't take a stand against these things? How much further would we be? Now, some of you are squirming uncomfortable. I'm talking to you the, the truth of God. So you shouldn't be. You're conditioned by the world. You're conditioned by political correctness. You better watch yourself because pretty soon you'll compromise and you'll give up the truth for what the world is preaching. You got to make up your mind because you can't have it both ways. You can't be in the world and be in the church at the same time. Well, you are, but in here, in your heart, in your mind, and in your family, your church, hallelujah. We're not going that way. We're holding the line by the word of God. We've got to take a stand because of the last days demanded. Listen, if, there's an old saying that he that walks straight keeps others from wobbling. That's what we got to do. We've got to walk straight to keep others from wobbling and vacillating. Listen, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6. I'm going to read you the King James. I'm going to give you some extra verses from the New Living Translation. Hallelujah. It's talking about the, that this age that we're living in, the spirit of lawlessness, this age of lawlessness, uh, that, that, and what is characterized by, and it's talking about the coming of the Antichrist manifesting itself, who's the epitome of lawlessness, and it's talking about the church being in the way uh, of this manifestation and its fullness. Amen. We're slowly progressing towards it. It began already back in the early days of the church, and it's, we, we, it was coming all this time, the last 2,000 years to where we are today, but there was a restricting force upon it as it still is in the form of the church filled with the Holy Ghost. And this is what Paul is talking about in 2 Thessalonians, which is the second letter he wrote to the church in Thessalonica to address this problem. He says, now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Speaking of the Antichrist. And you know what's holding him back. You know what's keeping him from, from being manifest and being revealed. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. In other words, uh, the restraining force is the only thing that's keeping him back until he's taken out of the way. And then shall the wicked be revealed, 
whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, in the end, hallelujah, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. That's still coming. Okay? And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because, you ready? They receive not the love of the truth. The spirit of lawlessness is going to deceive all those that have not fallen in love with the truth of the word of God, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie and that they would be damned. (whistles) Strong words for New Testament. I thought God was all about love. He is. But that doesn't stop judgment. The love of God provides the grace of God whereby we don't live by the Old Testament ceremonial laws. But we have the Old Testament laws to understand how serious God is about sin. And our New Testament, we're given the privilege to use the law to judge our own selves. By God's standards. Not the government's standards. Those are all totally different. But we judge ourselves by God's standards. And when we fall short and we see our shortcomings and our sins, we have the privilege of coming to God and saying, Lord, forgive me. I repent. And he gives us the spirit and the means to change. For Paul says this in Philippians 2.13, For it is God who causeth you to will and to do of his good pleasure. He'll help you change. Don't think this is impossible life to live. You can live and just yield to God, yield to his spirit. He'll cause you to will, to want to. He'll give you the want to. He'll give you the want to. Hallelujah. So now let me read you from uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, the New Living Translation, more modern language. So don't be fooled by what they say. For that day, the coming of the Lord, will not come until there's a great rebellion against God. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy every god, small g, there is, and tear down every object of adoration and worship. He will position himself in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that I told you this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who's holding it back steps out of the way. That's speaking of Jesus and and the Holy Ghost. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. This evil man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of wicked deception to fool those who are on their way to destruction because they refuse to believe the truth that would save them. So God will send great deception upon them and they will believe all these lies. Then they will be condemned for not believing the truth and enjoying the evil they do. You see why we can't stay silent? We've got to preach the truth. Jesus is coming back. We've got to be ready. And truth is the only thing that will get us ready. Truth is the only thing that gives us the chance to align our lives with him. A lie will not do that. The devil does not want us to align our lives with him. Quite the contrary. He wants us and the world wants us to align our lives with them. That's not the will of God. Oh, well, the world doesn't approve of the way believes. So what? When did they ever approve of what God does? It's not up to them. It doesn't matter what they believe or what they say. God is still God. God is still the judge. He's still the creator. He's the father of all things. He's still going to have judgment. They'll find out sooner or later. As soon as they draw their last breath, they find out. Otherwise, those that still stay alive until the coming of the Antichrist, they'll find out when Jesus comes back in his glory. Yes, that's Bible. 
See, this is why we need to be that salt that Jesus said we should be. You are the salt of the earth. He says, if the salt loses its savor, it's good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of man. So this is why the world needs our witness, our voice, our battle, our prayer. This is why the world needs our truth. Can I remind you that Jesus here plainly says that we are to be salt and not sugar. Hello? I want you to be the salt, not the sugar. Sugar tastes with everybody loves sugar. Now, I don't know about you, but I love salt too. Mm. Give me a batch of McDonald's French fries and I douse that with salt. Sister Switzer, close your ears. Hallelujah. <laughs> Brother Switzer and I used to go to McDonald's all the time and we split a big French fries, you know, and we'd get extra salt and we'd douse it, Sister Switzer. And she said, Don't tell my wife. Don't tell my wife. Hallelujah. I won't. I won't. We were bad. Hey, salt is good. Salt is good. <laughs> but it can also be bitter. Really, salt, if you get too much, it, it can be bitter. Uh, and, and to a lot of people, the Word of God, well, that's what the Word of God was, symbolized in the Old Testament anyway. You know, when in, in, in the tabernacle in the temple, you had the 12 loaves of bread. You had the bread you know, sprinkled with, the, with that aromatic gum. And, uh, and, and it, was, it was sweet to the mouth. Excuse me, it was bitter to the taste, but it was sweet in the belly when you swallowed it. Now, it was to really symbolize that, you know, if, if you only get a superficial bite of that bread, all you're getting is bitterness, but you got to eat that, chew that thing. That's the way the Word of God is. It can be bitter. You know, Paul said to Timothy, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And when you rebuke somebody, it's not exactly sugar. When you're telling somebody they're doing something wrong from a biblical standpoint, even in love, people get offended. They, they, they get hurt, you know, because even with a gentle... With kid gloves, you, some people, you'll try to approach them as gentle as possible. And they, well, <laughs> it's just bitter in the mouth. But if they could just swallow it, come on, and let it go on inside of you and, and, and contemplate it, think about it, meditate upon it. Give yourself wholly to it. See if indeed it is of God. You know, it, it, it'll bring a totally different result. And so we need to keep preaching the word, to be instant in season, out of season. Hallelujah. Because we are to be the light of the world, not just the salt in the earth. Hallelujah. The world must see the church even in this pandemic, folks. They got to see us. We can't be holed up just in here. Wherever you go, amen, you got to talk about the Lord. Talk about what the Lord has done for you. Yesterday, I went to tire place. I we wouldn't tell you where that. Hallelujah. I got some new tires to order. Come to find out, amen, it's about six weeks before they can get me in because there's such a backlog. So I saw the man, and I paid for my tires ahead of time. Okay, you know, and set me up sometime. And, and I'm watching him as he's getting down, and he's, his back is hurting. You know, he's just stiff. I say, hey, your back hurting? He says, yeah, you know, it's, it's just stiff, you know. So I said, you know what? And I gave my testimony how God healed me in 1985. I, I was ready to be operated. I was ready to get surgery. But you know what? God healed me instantly. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. I talked to him about God. You know. Praise the Lord. And as he was ringing me up and getting the paperwork ready, he says, by the way, he says, when you, when, when you, because uh, uh, I told him about my surgeon. I said, God, you know, he heals me and he healed my back, but he didn't heal me about my, you know, my hernia. God knows what he's doing. God's, you know, he, he's strategic with his miracles. Some things you go through because God's got a plan. And uh, whether it's working on me, which I'm sure is part of it, another part is working on you, another part is working on whoever I meet. So I'm going to keep on talking about Jesus, and somebody's got to hear about the Lord where I'm going. Well, this man says, you know, as I'm talking about God, he says, why don't you come in tomorrow morning at 930, and I'll work you in. Hallelujah. Oh, Glory. Listen, when you start talking about God, God opens a door where there is a no open door. Makes a way where there is no way. Hallelujah. Listen, keep talking about Jesus and his goodness. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he has done for me, my soul cries out. Hallelujah. 
Oh, hallelujah. Praise God for saving me. Aren't you glad God saved you? Woo! Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine. Mind you, he didn't say twinkle. He didn't say, no, let your light so twinkle. No, let your light so shine. Amen. So men will see your good works and glorify God which is in heaven. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. You know, Martin Luther King Jr., if you read, I read his uh, biography, it's really called his autobiography. The only autobiography, quote unquote, so called, because all the book is basically made up of all of his letters that he wrote. It's the only autobiography, quote unquote, that the King family approved. And I read this uh, years ago. I still got the book. One of the chapters he writes in there is about the church. And he's writing it from the Alabama jail. And he's talking about how the churches. We're really condemning him for marching and, and protesting against injustice. And he says, you know, the church too often is the taillight when it should be the headlight. Mm. In other words, we keep silent and don't talk about issues. And when we see wrong, we aren't opening our mouth, but we just kind of hold up in our cave and not call sin, sin. I said, you guys ought to be preaching what I'm walking and talking about, as Christians especially. And so too often we, we come in after the fact when we should be out front. Hallelujah. But we're too afraid. Hallelujah. Somebody's got to be a fearless witness rather than a silent saint. Hallelujah. See, secret disciples, useless. Nicodemus, he comes by night. Lord, how do I get born again? You know, well, he, he made it. Uh, he, he got better later, but hallelujah. Listen, Jesus in Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore in all the world, teach all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded to you. Hallelujah. Mark 16, 15. He said to them, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs, following. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Listen, that command and that commission still stands for you and I. We still have a mandate to reach out and bevel Illinois, pandemic or no pandemic. Amen. You've got a witness. You've got a mandate from God to share your testimony and tell the world what God has done for you. You say, well, I'm not, I'm not, you know, a theologian. You don't need to be. All you got to do is tell them what happened to you when you got saved. You got to tell them what it was like before you knew Jesus and then tell them what it was like when you got saved and what has been since after you got saved. How God put your life back together. You were in darkness. You were in addiction. Amen. You were on your way to hell. You were lost. But then God came on the scene of your life and turned you around and made you a different person. You became a saint instead of an ain't. Hallelujah. Everybody's got a testimony. Sometimes we just don't have a, a good enough self-image of ourselves. But I want you to realize uh, that what the world thinks about you, uh, amen, does not matter. Don't you look at what the world says, uh, what they think. Uh, that's not what matters. What matters is what God thinks about you. It's what God says you are. And all you got to do is read the Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 10. That's a powerful verse because it's really talking about the church coming up. He says, who is she? The church is always referred to in a feminine sense. The bride of Christ, the ten virgins, five foolish, five wives. Church is always in a feminine sense. Ephesians 5, hallelujah, we're the bride of Christ, and he's the groom. He's getting us ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. When we come into heaven with Jesus, we are wed to him, the church and the, the groom. That's Jesus, hallelujah, who died for us. Song of Solomon 610, who is she? that looketh forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible. That word is archaic King James, but it really means majestic. Amen. Terrible or majestic as an army with banners. Who is she? Hallelujah. That's how God sees the church. Majestic. Fair as the moon. Hallelujah. You know what moon does? Moon reflects sunlight. It only reflects about 0.073% of sunlight, very little bit. In fact, uh, it, it is sunlight minus the power of the sun. Hallelujah. There is no life-giving power. When you get 
moonlight. I don't know if you saw the beautiful full moon we had the last couple of nights. It lit up the sky. Hallelujah. But the, sun, the light that comes from the sun to the moon and to the earth, that light doesn't have the life-giving quality like sunlight does. You don't feel any heat with moonlight. That's robbed of it. Amen. Because the light that comes from the moon is not the source. It's just a reflection of the source. Hallelujah. And that's what the church is. We are not the source of power. We're not the source of life. God is the source. We're just reflecting it. Hallelujah. Just a small portion of it. Hallelujah. Praise God. But it's interesting. It just hit me. In Genesis chapter 1 and 6. Yeah, 1 and uh, what is 116. When God created the heavens and earth and he created the sun to rule the day as a greater light, then at night he created the moon to rule over the night. And that's exactly the word he uses, the lesser light to rule the night. I said, oh, glory. Hallelujah. You and I are the lesser light. We're the moon that reflects the light of God. Praise the name of the Lord. And we are to rule the night. Listen, we are in spiritual darkness right now. We are in the world. We are to reflect his light, but we are to rule over it. We don't go by their standards. We don't live by their standards. Don't you worry about the way they look at you, the way they think about you. Hallelujah. But you know what the moon does? It, it has an effect upon our seas, the waters. And waters are really are, are a metaphor for people on the earth. Luke 21, the waves and the seas roaring, people in turbulent times. And, and, and Revelation 13, when, the, when John saw the, a beast coming out of the sea, it's, it's the multitudes of people. And the moon, what does the moon do? It has a gravitational pull on the waters. Hallelujah. The church has a spiritual gravitational pull on the hearts of people. That's what God put the church in the earth for. Hallelujah. And we are to live with that light that reflects through us and to other people in this world. Hallelujah. We are a powerful force. Clear as the sun, Song of Solomon says. Full of light. Saturated by the spirit of almighty God. The light is powerful. And darkness always flees from the light. That's why we got to let light shine. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. And then he says, terrible or majestic as an army with banners. You know, Israel came out of Egypt and the world saw it, heard about it. Oh, yeah, one and a half, two million slaves came out of Egypt, came through the Red Sea. Oh, yeah. They were slaves, undisciplined, unarmed, untrained not capable of fighting an army or much less winning a war. But that was not the way God saw them. <laughs> They're my people, and I'm going to fight for them. Right. And they came out of Egypt. Pharaoh changed his mind or tried to, sent his chariots after them, swallowed them up in the Red Sea. Then they went further as God called them in. Hallelujah. Sihon, the Amorite king, came, wiped him out. Og, the king of Bashan, wiped him out. Then Joshua later on, he went to Jericho. What happened? Walled cities, the walls came tumbling down. Hallelujah. Israel destroyed them all. Hallelujah. The world didn't think them capable of it, but they had God with them. You know, there's a lot of things that you and I have left to do in this world before God calls us home. But listen, don't look at our weaknesses. Don't look at our, 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 who we are in, in the natural, but look at us the way God looks at us in the spiritual. We're a powerful force, and God wants to use you and I. Hallelujah. Then Balak, and, uh, the king of Moab, you know, he saw Israel as a curse, and, and he called Balaam to, to curse the people. And he said, you know, I, I can't bless them. I, I, can't bless what, I can't curse what God has blessed. And that's what you and I are. No matter how much the world or any political movement condemns you and curses you, they can't curse you and I when God has blessed us. Zechariah 2.8 says, With us saith the Lord God of hosts, after the glory that has sent me unto the nations which spoiled you, quote, for he that touches you touches the apple of his eye. You know what the apple of his eye is? I looked up the definition. I don't know what it means, but what's the definition? It says someone or something that one cherishes above all others. When God looked at Israel, ain't the apple of my eye. And when you touch him, man, you're touching that which I really cherish. 
And that goes to the church. See, God's focus is on the church more than anything else. Plus, on the hearts of those, the Bible said, Eyes of the Lord run to and fro on the earth, seeking to show himself behalf, strong on behalf of them whose hearts are perfect or perfectly aligned, focused on him. He's looking for that. But other than that, he's looking at you right now. He's not looking at the world events. He's not looking at where, what everything is helping. He's looking at what's happening to his church. What happens in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. He's looking to develop in you a fearless witness so that you don't end up being a silent saint. Hallelujah. Stand with me, if you will. So the world today sees the church as a minority of people without a legitimate reason to exist. Really. They say we are a bunch of weak-minded fringe groups that need to be destroyed. Yeah. We are people who use religion as a crush because we can't stand our own two feet. And there's others like Harvard professor Elizabeth Bartholet just recently came out from a law school. She's an expert on child protection and so on. She decried homeschooling because it is, she said it's dangerous. Why? Because she didn't put it this way, but in essence she did. She put it that way because so we, we, we continue to, to, to abuse children by teaching them the patriarchy, teaching them th that intact family is good, that a child having a mother and father is good. Because we teach traditional marriage between a man and a woman is right. And because of that, we're dangerous. Dangerous to their jobs. That's what their big problem is because so many homeschoolers are going in home and they're learning better and getting a better education than they are giving to, to their kids at the public school system. And then they're stopping charter schools from being established when they do a better job than they are doing because all they're doing is not teaching but indoctrinating and contrary to our conscience and contrary to biblical values and traditional marriage and all that. And there's many movements like that. There's people out there, you know, but their opinion matters in the sense that somebody we got to pray for. We do, and we pray for them. Now we got people like the SPLC, it's the Southern Law and Poverty Center. It used to be a great, uh, uh, not social justice, just a, a civil rights organization until they were taken over by the LBGTQ movement and philosophy. That's lesbian, gay, transgender, and queer. And they keep adding letters on to that. I, I don't know what the latest version of that is. But you know what the LGBTQ uh, agenda is? It is totally against biblical values, against the biblical definition of marriage, uh, traditional you know, family values. And any church or group that espouses biblical values is now labeled by them as a hate group. I don't know what made them or who made them the chief arbiters of morality. We don't hate gays simply because we don't believe that, that marriage is, is really biblical between a man and a man, a woman and a woman. We don't hate them. Every, every gay person, I don't care who they are, what, lesbians, gays, transgenders, they have rights as human beings under the law. But they don't get a pass from sin just because of their behavior. I don't care if you're gay. God loves you. God can save you. I don't care if you're an adulterer, but God can save you. I don't care if you're a liar. God can save you. But you see, what has happened in society is this liberal mindset and this demonic deception is trying to get people to create groups, minority groups, centered around behaviors. People are not born gay. I'm sorry. Truth matters. Not too long, a few years ago, they tried to say, scientists say there's a gay gene. There's no such thing. Look at the science, really. 
lot of politicians say, yo, look at this. I believe the scientists. Oh, yeah? Well, believe science. There's only two kinds of chromosomes, male and female. There's no transgender chromosome. There's no gay gene. I'm telling truth. The church better stand for truth. You better stand for truth because everybody else is going to believe a lie. And if they don't hear it from us, who are they going to hear it from? Oh, well, I, they won't have a good opinion of me. I know. And in some circles, you can't say these things because you lose your job. Who's discriminating now? I thought religious you know, bias and religious prejudice and, and, and all that was against the law too. Well, not if you're, you know, the other, other violations trump religious values. So we don't hate anybody. Everybody's a right to come to Jesus. But you don't have a right to make your lifestyle a deviant lifestyle acceptable to God when his word clearly condemns it. You don't get a pass. Pretty soon people, what if all the murderers got together and say, you know, I was born that way. I kill people, but that's the way I was born. What if all liars got together? You know, I'm lying because that's the way I was born. I'm sorry, and they don't change their way when they come to the church. Adulterers, man, I go around hopping from bed to bed, partner to partner, because you know what? I was born that way. Maybe you were. Paul said, such were some of you were. Such were. There's got to be a change. There's got to be a, a repentance, a change of direction, a change of lifestyle. There's got to be a change of mindset. Why? Because it's not about pleasing myself. It's pleasing God. And the only way you know what pleases God is through the truth.